All that being said, let's turn our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be in verses 13 to 25 this morning. That's 1 Peter 1, verses 13 to 25. And as we continue and get towards the end of our Pillars of the Local Church series, we're going to be hitting on really kind of the characteristics that keep us engaged in these things that make a New Testament church a church. And uh, originally, the sermon for this was actually going to be committed to attendance, but I feel like we covered a lot of that in our church membership sermon, um, and then we've also been covering a lot of the church characteristics, right? We've been talking about the ordinances, we've talked about spiritual gifts, and now, honestly, we're talking about the backbone of everything we've been speaking about thus far. The New Testament church is a church that's committed to holiness. Hear the word of God through First Peter. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you're also called to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for you. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in him. And since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart and love one another constantly, because you've been born again, because uh, not of imperish- not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. This is God's word for God's people. Well, there's an interesting mystique behind the word holiness, Right? So some of us in, that room, in this room, we hear that word, and we might think of the church experiences we had growing up, where when you think about holiness, you're not actually thinking about maybe the character of a Christian internally. You might not be thinking about everything you've read in the scriptures about the word holiness, or whenever you see the word holy. But here is what is something that's a common denominator that comes up for all of us, right? Every time we think holiness... Most of us in this room think about actions. Most of us think about uh, obedience to commands. And while on the surface, that is definitely available and present as a theme in regards to holiness in the scriptures, that's not all that holiness has to offer. In fact, what I would like to argue this morning is that holiness is not chiefly about action but that holiness is about position. I think what the Apostle Peter 
is teaching these exiles and what the Bible is teaching us as citizens and strangers, citizens of heaven, strangers in the world that we live in today, is that holiness is not a list of imperatives to be implemented, but a God-given position that's to be lived with a God-given purpose. Look at uh, verses 13 uh, through 15. Therefore, with your mind ready for action. So first and foremost, holiness, this call to holy living that we have, is actually a call to think rightly about God. Now, in the toughest moments of our lives, opening the Bible and trying to find some place of solace can be very dangerous sometimes because we can tend to use our emotions to maybe make the scripture say things it's not saying. We don't want to do that. In fact, Jen Wilkin often says it this way. We want to be a people of the scriptures that deposit the scriptures into our life like a bank account. All right? We're not looking for some emotional yield. We're looking for fruit that is born over time as God grows these things in us. And so we want to think rightly about God. Having our minds ready for action is to have our mind focused on the hope that we have in Christ. And that's not something you have to go back to the scriptures to constantly reread. In fact, to have your minds ready for action is to just basically dwell on the gospel. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday in regards to um, kind of putting your hope in the Lord. That is a phrase that is constantly throughout the Bible, particularly in the songs that my, in the Psalms, that my soul would hope in God. When we talk about hoping in God, when the Bible says that, we're talking about our position as God's people. To have your mind set and ready for action is to preach the gospel to yourself and to choose to position yourself in what it says and believe what it says despite what's happening in these dark moments. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you as holy, you are called to be holy. And so now we have not only our mind being set on the gospel, our mind is also pushing away the things of our former life. And I have to say something about this this morning. Listen, like you don't have to be held captive. You do not have to be held captive, even to the sin you might have done 30 minutes ago. To have your mind set on the gospel is the peace, the enduring peace of knowing that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the God who rescued you is still rescuing you. He's still doing it. You have to lay aside, you are free to lay aside the old things. And trust me, this is, this is coming from me, and a lot of you guys know me really well. I will recycle my past like nobody's business, right? And an attempt to maybe mentally correct my wrongs, and an attempt to maybe say, if only I just had the opportunity to go back and do this thing. And hopefully I at least just told somebody in the room that you're not alone. We are no longer bound to the former things of our previous ignorance before following Christ. However, the Lord gives us this very strange imperative to be holy because he is holy. And the crazy thing is, is that God is the one who makes us holy, right? 
He's not asking us to get to a place through ascent. We can't. God is not asking us to maybe change our mindset or change our outlook on life. What God is doing is saying, be holy as I am holy, and I will make you so in the gospel. And so here's our first point this morning. One, our hope is Christ. So be holy. Our hope is Christ. So be holy. That is, our hope is the Christ who gave his life. He positioned himself in lowliness that we would be positioned in righteousness. He left heaven and put human feet in the dirt so that we could go to the throne of the God of grace and call him father. It's going to be kind of a a quick transition into each point and, and application just because you really can't belabor these points very long. I mean, it's Peter's being very clear here. And so our application is this. We need to make our minds ready for action. We need to make our minds ready for action, and we need to do that with the truth of the gospel that we have heard. Uh, before Peter gets into this section of the letter, what he has spent 12 verses telling these exiles is that, one, their exile is part of the plan, and two, their exile, which has come with persecution and death and torment in the first century, has a living hope in Christ. Like, did you notice that Peter isn't telling these exilic people it's going to get better? He's not trying to comfort them with some generic platitudes. He's trying to tell them, your mind must be ready for action in the gospel. We also have to remember that Jesus, the Lord of the church, the king of Christianity, that Jesus went out exilically. He went out into the wilderness of this world we live in. The Son of God, who's known every single one of us from before the foundations of the earth were laid. He left heaven to become an exile for you and for me. Look at what verse 17 says. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you're to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living in strangers. For you know you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with imperishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, that like, like an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was known before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you, for us. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, as we learned about, learning on the series, who by the, Holy, who by the Father is sent just like the Holy Spirit, and he sends the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was sent to suffer. We should not be surprised at all, as Peter would say later, by the fiery trial. We should not. Christianity was a religion born from suffering. That's why it's so radical. And that's why we must believe it. We must. 
It is the antithesis to everything our human hearts, our human minds, our fleshly desires want us to have. Where the world says abundance, Jesus says, you will have enough. Trust my grace. Right? Where the world says indulgence, Jesus said satisfaction in every circumstance. And the world says, go and get, go and get, go and get. Jesus says, go and give, go and give, go and give. Freely you have been given to freely give. So our second point is this. Jesus put us in his position and put himself in ours. If that's not good news to you this morning, ask the Lord to make it good news. When it's not good news because you're overwhelmed by your lack in life. Please remember, God chose to work in the lack. He had no place to lay his head. Animals had better resting places than the Lord Jesus Christ. When peace seems like a dream, ask God who is the God of peace, to make it a reality. And guys, remember, it's peace, it's life, and it's grace, all on his terms. If you have to run to him to get it, you can't set the expectation. You need to trust that what he gives is good. And also, if you're in this room or if you're watching online and you have not, trusted in the blood of Christ that washes away all of our sins like a cleansing flood. I want to invite you to that this morning. If anybody would learn anything from reading the Old Testament, they would learn this. Blood is always a required sacrifice. Something had to die for something else to live. And as basic as like basic science as that is, that's the point. It was never meant to be difficult for us to understand that sin breeds death and that the only way back into life is somebody else's. So here's my application for you. Be washed by the redeeming blood of Jesus. Be washed. Y'all, Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman. He talks about what he offers like living water. And you know the good news about living water? It's always available for you to drink. The Lord is not a fool. You get thirsty more than once in a day. I hope you do. If you don't, you're going to have some serious problems later health-wise, but yeah. Um, You get thirsty more than once in a day. So it is with your soul. That's what Psalm 42 is for. As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. Guys, it's to remind you, the well does not run dry, and it does not have a waiting policy. There's no line. The Lord is ever-present with the well that he has. Go. Trust in the redeeming blood of Jesus. Go. Drink of the living water that he offers. Be like the Samaritan woman who Jesus, who foreknew you before the foundation of the world, knew every single worst thing about you that you'll do 10, 20, 30 years from now if the Lord would tarry so long. He, He knows that about you. And yet, he calls you out not into shame, but out of shame. 
and you rejoice to testify and say, look at everything this man has told me about me. This is worth running to the city with. This is worth going into the places that you work, going into the places that you play, in the neighborhoods that you live, and saying, hey, I know the Lord of life. And not only do I know him, I know what he wants, and he wants to know you. It's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. And not only is it worth it, but God's going to keep it to the end. Here are the last few verses of 1 Peter 1. Through him, that is Jesus, you believe in God, who raised you from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified yourself by your obedience to the truth, so that you you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, Love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that is proclaimed to you. If you grew up in a liturgical church background, you would have heard this statement many times at the end of the liturgy before the preacher would preach. You would hear the words, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And the reason that that's important throughout church history and throughout church traditions is because it's important within the service to remind each other as brothers and sisters, this is never going away. The physical paper binded by this faux leather, it can perish. But the one who spoke it and the promises that he made, they aren't going anywhere. And look at what it says about human life. The flesh is like grass. And its flower... Uh, or and it's and it's glory like the flower of the grass. In other words, flesh produces fleshly glory. The word produces God's glory. We cannot produce anything that will not pass away. I was actually having a really tough time early on in the first portion of this residency. And I don't know about you guys, but past sins and hurts and habits and hangups tend to come up a lot when you get anxious. And I, I do that very often. And I remember texting Lagan one time and I said, Hey man, I'm just not having a great night. Like it's not going well. And, uh, Lagan had told me something that was probably one of the most gracious things I'd heard. And I want to tell it to you this morning. Since the flesh is like grass and it's glory, like the flower of the grass, God calls you to resist sin. He doesn't call you to win. If you needed to win, then Jesus didn't need to die. God calls you to resist sin. He doesn't call you to win. And guys, when you position yourself in the holiness that you have, when you realize that you have been positioned according to this word of God that never fades, it's a lot easier to resist when you know where you're running. When you know that you can run to a gracious throne of a God that you can call Father because of what Jesus has done by swapping places with you. 
it's a lot easier to resist. Our last point is very simple. God gets the last word. Spoiler alert. The last word is this. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will bow down before Jesus Christ. He is called faithful and true. He will come in on a white horse commanding thousands of angels. He will rescue his bride. He will sweep her off her feet and take her to the house that he has set for her. And brothers and sisters in this room, you are included in that. And if you're somebody here listening and you're watching this and you don't know if you're included in that, you have been given the way to be included in that. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the door to belief. His blood is the medicine for your sin. And his grace is the bridge between the separation between you and God. Obey the word of God because it will be there when everything else is gone. And so will God. A healthy church is filled with people who are holy as God is holy because of the redemption they have in Christ and the word of God, which guides them. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for the fact that your word has been made clear for us this morning. Oh, Lord, you took a zealous fool like Peter and made him your servant. How much more will you do with those of us who God probably don't even have half the zeal that he had? Father, would you help us to be obedient? Would you help us to be holy as you are holy? Would you help us to live out of the position you've put us in and help us not to see your holiness as just a bunch of imperatives to be implied, but you would see it, God, you would help us to see it as our position to live in the purpose that you give. It's in the name of Jesus we pray all of these things. God, help us to lift our voices in real worship to you that is pleasing. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.